If you're working on a problem you can solve in your lifetime, you're probably not thinking big enough. This is the Yoakum Strong Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sasson behind the scenes. This quote leads perfectly into our guest today, the one and only Jake Tura. Jake was actually our first podcast guest of season two, and I just went back and listened to that before our first podcast guest of season three. And just to see the growth between the two podcasts is actually pretty cool. Uh, it was really bad season two, but uh, I've been spending the past year hanging out, talking to Jake, doing some dunk sessions, doing some glaze sessions. This podcast actually took place after uh, after we were dunking and doing arms for an hour. So our minds were stimulated and we were ready to go. And we had been talking for a couple hours. But, but today, Jake takes us down the rabbit hole of how to jump higher and kind of the three-pronged effect of how to do that. There's three things that you need to focus on and he kind of simplifies it with his, and he does a really nice job of doing that, of simplifying patellar tendon pain, simplifying how to jump higher, simplifying how to just perform better as a human. And I think that's something that Jake does a really, really nice job of when it comes to his vast knowledge of the field. And that he, we talked about how he gets to talk to the smartest of people in the entire field and how he's able to Boil all of that knowledge down into what actually matters. What is your objective goal? And he takes us down that entire rabbit hole, and it was, it was pretty cool. So thank you guys for listening. Hopefully, you guys get something out of round two. Hit the intro music. Let's go. Season three. First guest. Boom. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite-level guests to unravel what high-performance really is. Well, post-pump, Jake, we're, we're, we're in the studio. We're in the office. We're at UST. How's it been? How's life been? Amazing, man. Back, back in action. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh a lot of changes happening recently. Uh, new job. I call it a new job. You don't call it a new job, but cha- changing of the guards a little bit. You want to talk about that a little bit? Bring us down the rabbit hole of what your life is like right now? Uh, yeah, well, I don't really have to do anything. I don't. Uh, well, I quit. I was at Youngstown three years and I left. And since then, I mean, I have the online business where I just sell the the ebooks right now. Um, but nobody tells me what to do. I don't have to answer to anyone. I don't have to have meetings that I don't want to be a part of. Uh, and yeah, people say like you get burnt out in college. That's why people don't retire. I think it's multiple things. I mean, often you don't get paid very well, which isn't really practical for the amount of time that you spend. Like if you have a master's degree and let's say you've spent for me like over a decade developing knowledge in the world and then you just don't make good money and you're working hours that are, I mean, you're getting there very early and often you're leaving very late. You do have a lot of free time during the day, but uh, then you see like sport coaches showing up at like 10 or noon and not putting in that amount of time and making five, six, seven times the amount of money you make. So uh, college strength for me, I just kind of, uh, I don't know. I just kind of got sick of it. I I don't know if I would go back, but many things like that. And, And I think all of the knowledge that I, I did gain, um, how, how much of it did I use? Because I, I feel like the, the top skill set to be a college strength coach is your ability to keep a coach happy. And I spent three years developing the skill set to keep coaches happy. And now I left and it's like, wow, why? <laughs> you know, uh, was that it's, it's just kind of a messed up system. Fergus has talked about it with the silo effect. Uh, everyone does their own thing. They don't step on each other's toes. Uh, often programs are not really together. So it's like if I have ideas about load management and physical preparation within the strength conditioning world, but the sport coach wants to do their own thing, it's pointless. It is literally pointless. And all I'm usually fighting for is to do less, is to <laughs> drop fatigue. So it's it's almost like I'm taking away the significance of my role, the amount of hours that I spend with the team because I'm saying, you want them to train for one hour today? Well, I think it would be better if they trained for 15 minutes, you know? <laughs> um, so that a lot of limitations and I just felt that my skill set, the knowledge that I have, I wasn't able to apply it. And I think in hindsight, I could have done better to be more active to try to do that. But uh, financially online business made more money was more rewarding. So I was just reached a point where I was like, I think it'd be better to just focus on this. So 
Uh, that's where I'm at now. And and as far as what's next, I do not know. But uh, it's just consistently for me at this point, putting out content as far as podcasts that I want to I want to put out. I guess I want to get on uh, things that I find are interesting. That's really all I spend my time on. And it's I mean, it's it's enjoyable. It's uh, I'm just looking to make it bigger and bigger. And uh, we'll we'll see where it takes me. Kind of kind of still kind of still uh, don't know where it's headed. But something will come with time. Yeah. One of the things that I like that you brought up was the fact that you can put in all this time and it's like you grow your skill set. And this is one of the things that I'm looking at in college world and just looking at in the future direction of it is you put in all this time to grow your skill set. So you come in at an entry level position or you come in at your entry level contract and then you get better at your job. You grow your knowledge. If you're a good coach, you're spending this time to get better at your job, to grow your knowledge, to become a better coach, which in the private sector, in the your own business would lead to you naturally getting more people because you're getting better results. You're, you're reaching higher things. And in the college sector, there is no next level. Uh, it is the cap. So you can get as good as you want at your job and not get ever get rewarded for that. So then you either have the, the statement of the coach stops getting better at his job and just sits there and is stagnant because he understands he's not going to get paid for it. Or you have the coach like yourself that has reached a point where it doesn't make sense value wise anymore, spending time to get better at your job when you're not getting rewarded for it. Yeah. And, uh, this is that phrase of like, you're the average of the five people you're around and the people that have been in the job for so long, you can see how complacent they get in the college world. And part of it, part of it would be, they're not getting paid enough. I'm not even talking like strength coaches. Yes. Athletic trainers too. Everyone just feels they're not getting paid enough. They're, they're not valued. And they, I think they just get complacent and maybe because I'm single and I'm not married and don't have kids <laughs> like these people, their focus becomes their family. And then they just show up to work and it becomes like a nine to five job or something. And for me, it's just never been like that because it's been, I guess the, the thing that I think about throughout the entire day is the human body and, and performance and injury reduction. But, um, yeah. So, so being around that, those type of people is like, I would, when you, I mean, you run a podcast, it's like, you get some really, you get some people on that's like inspire you. They, they teach you a lot of new things. It's like, wow, these people are doing some cool stuff. And then you go to your day job and it's like, what do these people here have to teach me? You know? <laughs> um, and that, that was one thing I'm not saying there, there are a lot of people. I learned a lot of people, uh, stuff uh, at the job. Yes. Uh, and our woman soccer coach, I bring him up a lot, Brian Shrum. He was a dude who completely changed my, my perspective on strength conditioning. But, uh, yeah, I just personally kind of wanted to separate myself from people that I didn't really I, there are a lot of people that I don't really respect professionally. I, you respect people as human beings, but professionally, um, as far as how much work they're putting in outside of the job, how much extra they're doing. And it's like, I, I don't think it's good to be around those people. You should be around people. If you're trying to raise your game up, you should be around people better than you, smarter than you. Um, and in the college worlds, maybe it's different at different levels. Like maybe high major D1 is different. People are getting paid more. They're happier. They're I don't know. Um, but I just, that was another thing too. It's like, I just want to separate myself from that and just be around the people that I choose to be around. Yeah. And that, that was something I take it a little bit different around. Something I was interested in is you just talking with you whenever we do our callers route or our dunk sessions, it's like you have an insane vast amount of knowledge. Like your brain, you can tell like goes, has so many things in it that you want to put out. And uh, Carter, our intern, was actually asking this question about is like, how do you funnel this? So now you have these conversations with these like masterminds, these people that you're like looking up to and you're actually learning from taking these notes. How do you funnel that down to one, what's important? And then two, like your program, like I'm, I'm going to take this, I'm going to actually use this rather than now I have the knowledge of it. Or is it just having the knowledge of it naturally shapes the foundation of your program? How, how do you kind of funnel that system down into things that matter from the things that these masterminds are telling you? Because you can't really take it all yeah or you think, can't use it all sorry yeah yeah i think that's a that is uh one of the problems especially nowadays with internet like there's there's so much information available right away and if you don't have a solid objective starting point then you're just going to go in a million directions you know you're going to see like oh the iso lunch like do i need to start doing that uh and it's like what is your objective starting point and the thing that the phrase that everyone says start with the game you know it's like well obviously yes start with the game um but if we the soccer coach brian and i we made uh, the objective starting point for the strength coach within let's just say within that sport is was um play and practice with your strongest team like the strongest meaning your best players. You want people available for games and for practices. So if a strength coach looks at it that way, I think the amount of work that you're doing or the things that you value 
uh, once you set that as the objective starting point, you can actually ignore like 99% of the stuff out there and be like, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. So yes, I do. I think I do get guests on. I talk to a lot of people. I put out my own content of things that, that I think are useful, but I also think it adds to the noise within the world, within the strength world, which is bad. It's bad for the people that don't have an objective starting point because it just confuses them. And I think a lot of people don't have a good objective starting point. If I could explain this better, if we take the vertical jump, uh, you can just look at physics. And the vertical jump, how high you can jump, would be the relative net vertical impulse. Like you can just measure it to the relative net vertical impulse. So that is the starting point. That is the objective starting point for getting your vertical jump better. You need to improve your relative net vertical impulse. So relative it's based off your body weight so the first thing you could do lose body fat if you have too much fat lose body fat you'll jump higher uh and then the other would be the net vertical impulse and that could come through strength conditioning mainly that would start from jumping because jumping would be the best way to improve the, the vertical impulse of jumping in and of itself but strength training can help and then we have ideas of if you're going to train for, to improve net vertical impulse you have to stay healthy in the process so then we can add in these health interventions but I think if your intern is asking that, I think my experience with a lot of interns, they would ask the same thing and they get so confused and they're like, try phasic training because you work the force velocity curve and stuff. And, and if you could actually go way back and say, what is your objective starting point? And let's get your objective starting point right. And then you can say, do I even need tri phasic training? Does this stuff even matter? And I think that's the problem people don't have. Uh, they don't have an objective starting point, so they can't critically think when they see things. They just say, that looks cool. Let me use it. Um, so I guess maybe you need to sit in a room and say, what is the objective starting point for this sport or for this athlete? And then what are the training inter interventions we can use uh, or not use or not intervene at all? <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. and I think that's the that's the thing, too, is you like you see a lot of the the bickering or whatever in the twitter world you and i talk about a little bit of like the, the strength conditioning like feuds that are out there and it's like if you take that that approach that you mentioned and just start looking at is like do they do they have a reason for programming it is that reason working does it make sense and if so yes and if that's like if that's the purpose then why are we arguing about this stuff like they have their reason they have their purpose for doing that uh and they're getting results like i think we spend less time sitting there trying to big dick each other talking about this set and rep scheme and that set and rep scheme. I, I think that's a really good point is like, this is what we're trying to do. These are the reasons we're doing it. And this is how we're going to get there. And this, this is what we're going to produce as a result. And if it doesn't work, then go back to one of those steps and fix it. Yeah. And, and the, yeah, you need to have that objective starting point. And I think in the strength world, when you start to be critical of what other athletes are doing or other programs, if it like straight up objectively does not make sense, then we could be like, okay, maybe that's stupid to do. Uh, like example, if it's a basketball team and often they run 17s where it's like they go, they go short side, they run set like that type of work is so if you're doing it often, I guess you can do it here and there. And that's probably good to like work all energy systems. Um, but like, does it objectively make sense for becoming a more explosive basketball player? Because what what separates high school uh, D3, D2, D1 pro, the speed of actions within the sport. And if you if you want to increase your level of play, you need to increase your speed of actions within the sport. And if you do that very fatiguing stuff, the mental toughness stuff, it just objectively does not make sense. You can throw it in here and there. Sure. Um, but that's where the, the issue would come. But again... You can't necessarily see if I saw your school at St. Thomas do 17s like on one day and I was going to be critical of them. I don't know what goes all goes into their program. Now, if I saw that, like and I was I was a little bit knowledgeable what the coaches are doing or what the goal is with the program and you're doing it every single day and you're just killing the guys. OK, that's stupid. Mm -hmm. um, but you can't really say. And until you work with a person individually, you also can't say what's right or wrong. Like like the example is like Le LeBron James squat video where he's <laughs> squatting like half squat and he's squatting like, like into his left hip, I think. Um, and people will say how bad the form is all, and they have all these opinions and you don't work with them. You have no clue. You and know? You're not LeBron James. Yeah. And also, yes, <laughs> if you're, if you're those elite athletes, like the, the objective starting point is to be very good at the sport. They're already amazing at the sport. So what are you really going to do? And what chances are you going to take? Uh, I don't know because I, I've, I've never worked with a professional athlete of that caliber, but I would think that I would just, 
be a lot more hands-off, you know, and, and see how they feel, what they want to do. But example, let me use an example from the other end. If a kid comes to me with a 12-inch vertical and says, I want to jump higher, um, I'm not going to leave him alone. I'll be like, dude, you need to train. Like, you <laughs> suck. You're awful. So I'm going to intervene, like hardcore intervene on you so that you can, you train and we need to take a lot of chances to get you to that level. Um, but that's, that's kind of a distinction where it's like, if you're at such an extreme level of performance, I'm like, maybe we should kind of leave them alone. Just make sure you're objectively not hurting them by like causing chronic fatigue or something that might injure them down the line. But if you have someone who really sucks at something, we objectively know you need to train and we objectively know these things are what you need. So we need to train for them. Um, but that's, that's kind of a distinction. And that's a, another issue that is tough in the college world is you train so many athletes at once. Mm-hmm. So you have those people who are crazy gifted and then you have people who are not gifted and often you're kind of forced to put them on the same program, but do they need that? I don't think so. Uh, but your coach might want them to be on the same program. They might want everyone to be training together. So that's that's one thing that can get can get kind of tough. And again, you can't judge until you're actually training that team. Yeah. And I think the one point too is like you talked about if it's objectively wrong. And it's like if it is objectively wrong, you don't want to be competing with the, like you're not going to be competing with those people anyways. You know, like if they're already at a level, you're not going to change their mind. So like we're just going to leave that be. And now we're going to try and have conversations with people that can see that it's objectively wrong. And if they're critically thinking, hopefully they're not spending a bunch of time doing that. And I also like the point of like it's like the via neg- negativia like whole thing about if the athlete sucks and I like I'm a branch this off into the whole dunking thing. Like if the athlete can't do it, you do need to take the risk to make them to be able to do it. Like they they're already at a level so bad to like they can only go up. They really can't go much lower. But if an athlete's already at this high level, like you, you as a strength coach can make them suck. You can make them worse than what they already are. So like, let's not intervene in that regard. Yeah. 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 I guess I have nothing further on that. Yeah. (laughs) And that's where I want to branch it off into the dunking journey that I took because you told me to dunk. Last time we had the podcast, you said, just basically don't be soft dunk. Um, in those, probably not as nice words. And, um, <laughs> and I said, I texted you, I was, I was getting closer and I'm like, Jake, how do I do this? Like, what, what's the next step? You're like, if you want to dunk, just dunk more. And I, I think, well, yeah, that makes sense. Do you want to branch off on that thought of if you want to dunk? Yes. Just dunk yes. More? And, and I think it depends on the type of person too, because I, I know who you are. Like you're a weight room dude. Like you have high numbers in lifting. So it's like, you've kind of maxed out your, the gain you can get uh, in the dunking world because you're already strong. Like you don't need that anymore, you know, and you've probably done a lot of plyos in your life too. So you, I don't think you need that either. So you need the specific skill of dunking. If a kid has never touched a weight in his life, never even done plyos and all they do is practice dunking. Well, maybe we need to do the lifting, you know, maybe we need to do plyos to get, maybe you have some, some lack of uh, stiffness in one certain area or something like that. You can't transfer necessarily there. So it, that is individual too. Uh, it's not like a kid just wants to dunk and it's like just practice dunking every single day like that again that can happen jordan kilgan and that's all he did and he got to a very high level of dunking but jordan was on my podcast and he was talking about guys being freaks and it's like well jordan you're also kind of a freak because (laughs) you were able to do that if i was to try to do that as a kid uh i probably would have blown my patellar tendons i'm maybe not blown but like i would have probably pretty extreme knee pain and i don't know if i would ever increase my performance um so i think the for you, you had to get the skill and you just, I mean, you're better now. I mean, I still am kind of like that too. Cause I just love lifting and I have become such like a muscle dude, like a muscle bound dude as far as when I'm, when I am jumping, but, uh, you just, what, like, you got to look at what you're lacking and just work on that thing. And if it's just the technique of jumping, I've never been a fan of like, let's work on isolated technique. I just say, dude, just go dunk. And you know what your technique can be? Film yourself dunking slow-mo. And then you can look at, well, that doesn't look right. Maybe I need to work on this. You know, maybe I need to think about this next time I do it. Um, but to say like canned jump technique drills, I've never been a fan. I think it's always individual. Like one thing is, let me... Now we're talking about something different, but for myself, uh, if I, if I go, I'm a two leg, I, I can't do, I just suck at one leg. I hate it. Uh, but I go left, right. That's my most natural way of jumping left, right. And then I jump, uh, left, right. And most people, when they do left, right, their right foot will hit on the forefoot. Their heel might, will probably not even touch the ground. 
and they'll pop it off, they'll jump. But for me, when I go left, right, my right heel hits every time. And then I get on the forefoot and then I jump. And people have been critical of me and said, dude, you need to, it's like, I think it's called pop foot. Where like that, that second foot needs to come in fast. You pop off the forefoot and you come up. But if you're being critical of me, you don't know me. You don't. And how many jumpers have you worked with that deadlift 600 pounds and have squatted 500 pounds and are built like me with a with a uh, wide rib cage, wide hips? There's not many like me. Like I'm built different. <laughs> uh, but um, what? I, and also, I had Achilles tendon issues when I was a kid on my right my right leg. So maybe what's happening is I need to get a heel strike and maybe that engages my Achilles and then I can finally use it. And if I was to force the pop foot thing where I go forefoot, maybe that would be bad for my Achilles. I don't know. Um, but that's one issue where like you have these canned ideas for what is proper and what is improper jump technique. You can never say that. You just don't know. You need to know the person and you need to know the in, uh, the training history and the injury history because I'm different than a lot of other people. Uh, and I would say you are too. Uh, but personally, I really only care. I only watch my own jump things and I'm critical of myself. I'm not often like that with other people. So I can't really tell you what I think you should work on. I think you need to wear basketball shoes because you're just <laughs> destroying your training shoes when you jump. Uh, you can still get up, but I think you just start to get up better as you get a stiffer shoe. And uh, that was, I mean, it, it branches off to just, if it's working, like don't fix it. And if you aren't doing it yourself, you say it all the time. Like if the person can't dunk and you're going to criticize somebody that can dunk, like shut up. And I think that's, I think that's, it has a point. Like if you can't do it, like. Exactly. I, I And I, I think I'm kind of like, I'm, I kind of, I'm kind of uh, hypocritical there because, or is it the term? No, no. What's the term for that? Like, that's the term. Yeah. No, no, no. Like I, like I'm saying something, but I'm acting differently. What's the term for that? Critical. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what the term. Uh, <laughs> because if we're talking about like, uh, if we're talking about something objective which I guess when we get to individual jump technique, often there is subjective things. There are individual differences with people. But if we talk about something objective, it is it is true or it is false, regardless of the person that said it or not. You know, like it doesn't matter my resume or my experience. If, if we're talking about something objective, if some kid who has no knowledge about anything says something that is true, it is true. If we're talking about something objective. Uh, so. I'm kind of hypocritical there because often a kid will tell me something and I'll be like, how high do you jump? And they'll be like 20 inches. I'll be like conversation over. I don't care what you have to say anymore. You know? Um, but it, but it does always seem to be the kids that cannot jump that are the most sensitive kids when I'm kind of like being, uh, not the most, not the nicest to them. Uh, and they have no, they have no vertical. So it's like, dude, like don't, don't talk until you can prove it. You know, don't talk until you can do it yourself or until you have this army of people that you've helped improve themselves. Otherwise, you really know nothing. You don't know anything at all. You just have some theory in your brain. But let me see that it actually works because it's 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 probably it's like doing any project like you starting this podcast is like you probably had it in your brain how this thing is going to go. And then you start doing the podcast and it completely changes. So these kids have a theory in their brain, but they've never applied it. So when you actually apply it, you realize the theory was often wrong and it doesn't work out like that in the real world. Well, it's even the, I mean, my personal drunk dunk journey, like I would work with, um, work with athletes to work on their vertical without ever dunking before in my life. And then I went through the jump, like dunk journey myself and realized some of the stuff that I was doing is like, all right, that was shit. And then some of the stuff I was like, all right, I should be implementing it. So it's like very, the personal is, it's not so much the egotistical, like I'm able to do this. That's why it's, the journey that led for like you to be able to do something and the things that you learned along the way is why that's important for you to either be able to do it or for your athletes to be able to do it. Because I personally gone through it. It's like I was training athletes for vertical and like uh, and most of them were football guys just trying to get the vertical up just because they want to have a cool vert and talk about it. Not that it affects the game, but then I would do the dunk thing and I would like, like I program this many jumps. And if I do that many jumps, it fucks me up. So like, why, why am I saying these things? And putting it, I mean, it's just bringing it back to skin in the game is kind of the main point there. Yeah. And it does, it does get kind of like to get results with people. There's always a little bit of like a placebo effect going on their own experience. And if you're working with them to improve their vertical, they're going to get better results. If you have a better vertical, it's just going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah. The yeah. belief. I mean, the same thing. Uh, one of the, I brought this up. I was talking to my, the intern again today. It was like, uh, we have this red light. Uh, we've been doing red light and I like the red light stuff, but it's, I have an athlete that I'll put in front of the red light for 10 minutes 
And she swears by like it cures everything. I'm like, this is the biggest placebo and I'm going to use it. Like I'm going to use it all the way through. I'll tell you. Yep. Whatever. Like, and she leaves and she's ready for practice. And she comes back the next day. She's like, I was smoking the ball. I was doing this. Like it was amazing. It was that red light. And she does it after every session. Now I'm like the placebo, the, the fact there, the belief factor behind some of it is like, all right, like if it works for you, it works for you. I'm not, I'm not going to intervene there. I'm going to let you do that. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. It's like, I I've kind of taken a, I used to like, attempt i only really read research on patellar tendon now uh but i used to try to like step in the research realm and really understand what's going on uh and then you have cases like that where it's like it leads to a an, a good result for a person and it's probably pure placebo effect so then we go hands off and we say i'm not even gonna try to explain it you know it just works but then we at the same time go to an athlete who doesn't want to listen to us we say dude like we got to work your actin myosin and you know the eccentric strength and it's like choose you know, pick a, pick a side. Like, are you going to say that, like, I'm just about results or are you going to say, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to uh, prove the mechanism for why these things work. Uh, I mean, maybe there are cases where you just pick which time to use which one. Uh, but for me, I'm like, uh, I am not spending a majority of my day researching or even in, I'm not in a lab or I can read research, but I'm not in a lab doing these type of studies. And uh, I know so little. So often I'm just like, dude, all we care about is results. If something gets results, go with it. You know, if, if you're if you're concerned with knowing the exact mechanism, don't come to me, go to somebody else. Yep. But hey, this thing works. And I know you just want results. And this thing works. Don't ask me the specifics because I just don't know. Go find a researcher if you want to know the specifics. But often the researcher doesn't know how to get results because they don't actually apply the things that they're researching. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you mentioned how when you knew me, you knew the, the, the weight room outputs that I had. I'm interested. Somebody's listening to this podcast um, and they're trying to dog. Maybe they're on their vertical journey. Where would you say or how would you know that they're at a level that they need to now? It's more the art of jumping uh, and the art of dunking. Because I know you mentioned the art of jumping and the art of dunking and how they're different a little bit. How do you know or how would they know that they're at the point where they need to work on more jumping rather than more weight room or they need to work on more weight room rather than jumping? Is there a metric or is it just... No, I can't make a metric. And I think uh, there are people out there that make metrics that are completely pulled out of thin air. And how could you possibly set a metric when everyone's structure is so different? Like if my femur is a certain length and yours is a different length, should I say you need to squat two times body weight to parallel? It makes no sense. You're so different than I am. And it's going to, if my femurs are longer, it's going to take a lot more energy for me to get to that squat than you are. And also when you're doing the squat, your range of motion is way less. So these type of standards would only work if you could control for the structure of the human being and no one has the same exact structure. Uh, so as far as, yes, I don't have any standards, but like, <laughs> that's one thing where when you work with people, you just kind of know, you know, it's just like, dude, you're freaking weak. Let's get in the weight room and let's squat. And it, and you know what? My verticals went up and I'm, I'm probably like over the years, maybe I'm around like a 40 on probably 37, 38, 39, maybe approach vertical on a good day, uh, which is pretty good for a dude who's 220 pounds, but it's taken me like a decade. It's taken me so long. Uh, and I have just kept, for the most part, kept that. St- if I could have done it again, I would have kept that stuff in all the time. Keep the strength training in and keep the jumping in. But I went from pretty much only plyometric training at first, and then I got really bad jumper's knee. And then I just did the lifting, just the strength training. And then I went back to jumping, get jumper's knee again because I changed load too fast. Uh, and then now it's like dunk days happen, lift days happen. I just keep the two going. Uh, the the lifting helps health because it strengthens. If we're just talking patellar tendon, patellar, you're always going to run into patellar tendon if you're a good jumper. You're all, everyone who's a good jumper has a patellar tendon issue or they, or they've had one in their past and it's going to come up later down the line. So one of your best preventions is to strength train and strength train all the time for the rest of your life. Uh, that would be like squatting, split squatting, leg extensions if you really want to isolate it. But for kids that want to increase their vertical, you can get short-term gains, like sure, but you should be concerned with the long-term approach of like, can I keep this for the next three, four, five decade? Where can I look at in the next decade? Uh, and that would be lifting every single week, jumping every single week, doing stuff for health if you have to. Uh, but it does get very simple. Um, but it, it's almost too individual for me to say, how do I know if a kid needs to work more on jumping? How do I know kids need to work more on lifting? I don't know. Just do both all the time. Yeah. yeah. But you would know if you have a guy that only lifted weights and was strong, like super strong. And then he jumped and he looked like, like 
if you take a power lifter, like if you take a power lifter and make him play a game of basketball, he's going to look like a, a block of wood. You know, he just can't move. Make him go and do an approach vertical. He can do a standing jump, probably fine. Make him do an approach vertical jump. He's going to look awful. He looks so bad. You know right away, dude, like take away some of your lifting volume. If you want to jump higher, get on the court, practice approach uh, jumping, practice dunking, if that's what you want to do. Um, and then a kid who only plays basketball and is like, you get this with younger kids. Uh, they only play basketball. They might not even work on their maximal vertical jump because often those kids that just play basketball, they'll get patellar tendon pain when they try a lot of maximal uh, effort jumps. Just I just think their structure can't handle it. Uh, like their quads are not strong. So if you want to be able to handle that, you need to lift. You need to lift weights. Uh, so yeah, you have those type of kids that you just need to lift. And often it can be that your genetics, like if we take someone like LeBron James, he is, let's just use the word strong. I don't want to just like weight room song. I'm just saying like the organism of LeBron James is strong. Mm -hmm. Like the, the organism of LeBron James is very strong. I grew up with a very weak organism. I couldn't do anything. So what did it take? It took a decade of consistent maximal effort of lifting, of sprinting, of jumping, of playing sports, of uh, doing things for health. It just takes so much time of signaling your nervous system to produce a lot of force very fast. Um, so kids who are just on the bad end of the genetic card, it's going to take years of maximal effort, jumping, sprinting, lifting weights. Uh, and then you always have to make sure you're staying healthy. Lifting can keep you healthy, but you might need to do some, uh, that's why like the isometrics are very beneficial stuff just for like the general health of the organism, like Dr. Tommy John talks about. But, um, often it's like, let's look at the long-term gain and week after or day after day, week after week, keep doing things that are very forceful. Keep doing things that are, are pushing the envelope on your body. And you're just going to adapt over time across the board. Like I can jump pretty high. I have a good, a good base for throwing too. My technique would be awful, but it would pick up very fast. Uh, my technique would probably be awful for sprinting because I don't care, but that would also pick up pretty good too, because my organism has got so much stronger and it just helps everything across the board. The organism strength doesn't have anything to do with technique. So like you can all, you always have to work on the technique. I am just not a fan of the can technique. Go and do it yourself, film yourself, see what you think is the issue. And then maybe you can figure things out through there. Mm -hmm. And that's where, so last time we were dunking together, you were talking about how you and Al have thousands of reps of jumping just from being kids and like growing up and doing that. And that's where it's, and you see it. So like when I jump and it is tough to explain maybe without a video, but when I jump, it's very like, it, there's like glitches and there's like a hold and then maybe I get up and then, and then go. And when you guys both jump, it's very, very fluid. And it's, you really, and you bring out the art of jumping. Like how would you describe the actual like, art of jumping itself what is that that makes it so much and it, you see especially with high jumpers like it rolls over they glide and they do it and then you see a football guy who has more force production um you'll test them on anything the, the more force production and when they jump it's just like slamming into the ground and like maybe they get up there maybe they do it and then if it's just not as um i want to say artsy i don't know if it's a better word but like what's that art of jumping to you is it just the thousands of reps and how are you kind of describing where it's like so relaxed for you guys and another guy that has similar force outputs it's just not as not as good looking and it's not the, the technique just isn't there yeah um like i think anyone who is like a if you look at any professional dunker, like they just love jumping and they've jumped their entire lives. It's always like you take a dude who's like 30 or 40 and they've never really jumped before. And they're like, I want to start dunking a basketball. And it's like, I don't know how good your technique is going to look. It's never going to look like someone that's natural. Just never going to happen because you missed out on 30 years of technique work that you could have been getting. And if you try to get all the technique work now, just through the act of max jumping, you're just going to blow up your knees or something's going to go. Uh, you have to get it throughout your whole life. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the reason why Alan, I, I, I would say his technique is so a lot more, if we say fluid, I guess a lot more fluid than mine. Um, he also has a structure for it. Like his, his rib cage is smaller. His hips are smaller. Um, he gets that triangle, his, his, his hips internally rotate very well. He's seven I don't, feet tall. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't have that. I, I might've had that 
more so when I was younger, but I got so hard into lifting for like three years. It was just powerlifting and bodybuilding and your structure does adapt over time to that. So it's like hips actually rotated, uh, probably not much connection with my feet, um, and just bracing on everything. So it's like, I got very rough on everything and, and I'm my technique, it gets, it gets better as I do it more still for myself. But, um, for us, we in high school, we, we both played basketball. He was a lot younger than I was, but uh, we just loved jumping. We always wanted to dunk basketballs and we it was it, we just always jumped, you know, and the problem then when you always jump, your patellar tendon, we both had patellar tendon issues like off and on. It just it just comes over time. But that's a thing that happens with jumping. It's just your patellar tendon is just going to go. So that's where the strength training comes in. But um yeah, dude, it's just it's just a lifetime of jumping. And to think that you can fix it by like, let's let's work on the length of the, the penultimate push and do a few drills like that. Like, I think that is uh, it'll probably help some people. But I think that is so ineffective compared to you jumping your entire life uh, with through sports or through just loving jumping. So, uh, for you, if you want to get better at it, you have to really love the process. And if you don't love the process, you just won't do it and you will not get better at it because you're not going to get the reps in to get, to get good at it. Uh, cause it just won't be enjoyable for you. But, uh, if you do love it, you'll, you'll get those reps in and you'll figure it out with time. Like the, for us, we had so many off and on of patellar tendon issues. And it's just like, dude, what is going on? Like, why does this thing hurt? I'm just going to rest it. We had no clue at all. So I spent that like, uh, months trying to research that. And now I have a pretty good, pretty down, pretty good of all the things that go into causing a patellar tendon issue because you, these kids that love jumping and want to get to the best of their abilities with jumping, the patellar tendon always gets in the way for everyone. <laughs> uh, it sucks, but this is what happens. So you need to develop the knowledge of how to treat a patellar tendon issue when it comes up. Because if you love jumping and you want to get good at jumping, you're going to get a patellar tendon issue. Uh, and once you heal it, you're probably going to get it again. Because this is <laughs> the nature of what happens with jumping. And I think that's um, building out. So you talk about loving kind of the process of dunking, something that uh, the multiple processes that I took is finding different ways to keep jumping entertaining for myself uh, because I naturally suck at jumping. So it was like trying to right away, trying to dunk was the most discouraging thing ever. Cause I was like, God damn, I barely touched a rib. Like this sucks. And you mentioned like one of the best things, like you mentioned that clicked in my head for some reason is like um, small ball dunking or doing like a low rim dunk. And I I've spiced it up a little bit too. I've done some like um, just to try and get like, if I want to do a high volume of, um, jumps in i'll do a box bar core or something like that that day just to try and get a bunch of jumps in but that's something where it's like set your almost environment and set your program up in a way where you can make jumping enjoyable for yourself because the reps you need the reps now you just need to find a way to trick yourself almost into getting those reps in whatever way that is for you i think it, it again it doesn't matter if it's getting results but like you said you need the base level of reps otherwise it's not going to happen for you yeah and that's dude that is what gets tough especially for younger kids who really want to dunk uh it's actually for me for it's it's actually kind of hard to dunk on low rims or dunk with smaller balls because you just know like 10 foot is is the thing you have to do with a guy's ball that is what you have to do so it's like you know it's like you, you come in the weight room and your coach is like you're gonna squat goblet squat 20 pounds today and it's like dude <laughs> no like i want to push myself you know like i don't want you don't you don't want to go down to that level but um i guess it depends on your personality i do the low rims now because it does give you technique work it's fun because it looks like you're freaking getting up there and you just don't have to tell people you're on a low rim if you don't want to uh but the it helps it helps um you can work tricks like do windmills uh if you try between the legs i can i don't have the arm speed for that uh still because i just don't work on it enough if i worked on between the legs oh like over and over week after week, I would get the arm speed and I would be able to get between the legs. I'm probably like a nine foot eight, nine foot nine, but I just don't do it. Um, but yeah, you have to, that is the problem. When, when you want to dunk a basketball and you're a guy, you know, it is a men's ball on a 10 foot rim. And for some people, it's hard to say, I'm going to dunk on a lower rim or I'm going to dunk with a small ball. But uh, I guess it wasn't an issue for you. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you're fine with it. Yeah. And that's where I think setting it up um, almost like, and this is where I think about it, is like trying to trick the athlete into uh, Almost because because you like you mentioned if it is dunking uh, and we did it with our football guys today is um I want to get some vertical work out of them uh, and if I tell a lot of football guys especially the bigs like the offensive linemen they 
they hate jumping because I mean, it doesn't feel good. They're 330 pounds. They jump and they're like, oh, this sucks. Uh, so we did tennis ball dunks today. And that was something that was really cool. It's like this game of tennis balls. I had all the team watching them. And if the bigs don't get the tennis ball in the rim, everybody's going to like make fun of them. So now we have bigs approaching that rim. I mean, uh, some of it was ugly. Some of them were not getting even close, but a lot of them were able to get up and like dunk the ball. It's like 320 pound guy that you know you're able to trick into doing a high vertical jump because there's a reward for it. It's almost like giving them the carrot yeah. to get yeah, them yeah. up. Dude, that is um the we've talked about neurotyping before, but the the type of person that wants to get good at jumping is often like the explosive neurotype and they're really only motivated by challenge. <laughs> so for me, uh high box jumps, people hate on them how stupid they are. I love high box jumps. It is so much fun. High hurdles where you hit the hurdle sometimes and it's like you might break your leg or something. I love it. It's so much fun. If you make me jump on a low hurdle, it doesn't do anything for me. If you make me jump on a low box, it doesn't do anything for me. Um, there needs to be some level of challenge. So that's in, in the vertical jump world where it's like jump over this one foot hurdle with very stiff legs or something like, dude, that's boring. I don't want to do that. Uh, and yeah, if you can, if you can get a, you're just trying to get the stimulus of jumping. So it's like find a way to match with their personality. Um, and some people will really like it and some people will not be like that. But I don't think that many jumpers are the ones who are not, don't like the challenge. Yeah. I think, I think you'll just see it across the board with people who love dunking is they're really only motivated by challenge. So if you give them stupid plyometrics that are not challenging, it's not going to work They're You're not going to get a training stimulus out of it. And they're just not going to enjoy the process. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, the challenge part too is like, I think you're able to look, you personally are able to look at low rims now and be like, that's not a challenge. That's why it doesn't stimulate you, but you have an athlete that I mean, I'll put myself like where I had like the the 20 inch vertical to where I was reaching with every ounce of my body to be able to get like a spike ball into a 10 foot rim. And that's where it's like now I'm actually getting that stimulus to where it's because I did a bunch of I was looking at every um, every plyometric, every vertical program out there, like looking at it, it was all like five sets of three uh, box jumps at 80 percent, like doing this. And I was looking, I was like this sucks. Like, why, why am I doing this at 80 percent? What am I doing? And the reach like I would. I would do that for like two hours of jumping, of trying to get a stupid spike ball in. And once I got a spike ball and now it's like, all right, can I get one of these bigger foam balls into that? And that's where it's continued to be challenged because now you're right. I'll go dunk now, uh, do my dunks. Um, and if I try a spike ball or I do the foam ball, now that I know I've got a dunk before, now it doesn't do anything for me. And it kind of it's kind of like a psychological like warfare. Now it's because I should probably be doing more dunks with that foam because I get it in more and it's probably better for my technique to not be throwing that bad. Like I get like one in every 10 dunks <laughs> that I go yeah, up for. Yeah. And now it's like, you're totally right. Now that's not rewarding for me. And I try to do it. And I'm like, this is pointless. I'm just going to send it a bunch of times with the, with a men's ball and hopefully pray that. <laughs> I think also what you'll find, uh, what I found too is, as you get better at jumping, as you get more advanced, um, you will take a lot longer to get warmed up to get to your highest jumps. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. And they'll go in and they'll try like five jumps. I just don't have it today, dude. It's like, dude, let's keep going for 20 minutes and you will have it. Well, or we saw that let's, with you today. Yeah, yeah. It's like the performance. Yeah, today. Well, I guess I, I also played two hours last night and then was on a plane. So I didn't expect performance to be well, but I just know what's going to happen. I'm going to get in the gym and I can hardly touch the rim off of an approach. And I'm going, I'm going to be able to dunk on that. Any given day, I will be able to dunk. Even if I come in and I'm like touching the net initially, it might take me 15, 20, 30 minutes to warm up. Uh, usually just playing basketball um, or just jumping higher and higher. That's that's what what does it. Um, but as you get better, you will take a lot longer to warm up. People that suck at, at jumping, you just it doesn't happen if they can't jump they can't jump it's not it's not coming within the warm-up but as you get better it takes a lot longer for you to get to that point uh where you can actually start jumping high that day and so we had you on a podcast a year ago you were the first guest of season two now you're going to be the first guest of season three a round of applause here there's one year yeah well more than a year now i guess it was december ish but um i want to know what the biggest changes in maybe your thought process and approach have been since that year in that process. And I think that's where you can probably dive into a lot of your patellar tendon stuff that you mentioned a little bit throughout the podcast. Maybe this is where your three keys come up, but it's seems to be where that's where your focus has really went and you released the, the, the ebook on all that, but what has been kind of your biggest eye openers and changes in that past year? Yeah. Well, because I quit the job, it's like I stopped really caring about trying to get people engaged because that was a big, a big problem is, <laughs> um, I've never been, the military type, 
person uh, maybe in certain situations, but I worked with so many female teams that do not respond well to a military type strength coach. Uh, I mean, they want they want to enjoy. I guess they don't. Not all of them want to enjoy themselves, but they need to have more of an experience with a guy. You can just like kind of. Uh, be hard on them and they'll actually enjoy that. Uh, I guess it, de- it depends more on the athlete. But what I'm getting at is last year when we did that, a lot of my energy was spent on like, how can I get engagement out of these athletes? If it's like a basketball, women's basketball team or swim or golf or something, um, how can I make the training process? Because the, uh, it, it's pretty simple getting like the uh, performance wise, like the lifting part that we did, the warm up part, the plyometrics, the conditioning, it's all very simple stuff. Just look at the sport, see what they might need. You can change it up here and there. But I was so set on like, how can I get these people more engaged? Um, and then I quit and I'm like that I no longer care. I don't have to do that. If someone's not engaged, they will not follow me on Instagram. They will never talk to me. Uh, if that is a problem with them, just go away. I don't care. You should, you should come to me if you love training, you know, and this is the benefit of having, having the online business and the resources there is people come to me that love training. So I don't have to deal with that. So because of that, what's changed the most is I've stopped concerning myself with people that don't really care about training. Um, and I don't think I ever have to, again, it's just not, it's not fun, man. It's not fun to work with people that don't want to be there. It is not fun. How messed and how messed up is that when like, you haven't you have an athlete that is you have any athlete at any place and we think they want to get to the best that the best ability that they can and you have knowledge that can help them and they're just resistant and they don't want to do it i think that's really messed up isn't it yeah <laughs> I, I don't i don't i want to say that i've had a ton of experience with that because i work with like a, a high division three football team that like if they don't do that they get weeded out so it's like mm-hmm. I, I think i've been blessed in the college football situation of, yeah okay like, yes yes we, so for me mid-major d1 you get athletes are there for a reason if they were better they would not be at mid-major d1 they would be at a high major d1 uh or they are good enough but maybe they didn't do well with coaches they didn't listen to people they had some other issues that happened so they were at that school for a reason maybe i would feel different about trying maybe i wouldn't even care so much about the engagement process if i was at because i entered at minnesota there wasn't much of that there the people like the, the, the athletes want to train yeah, yeah. yeah they they more so want to train when they're there uh but that was a big thing for me is like just being around people that didn't really not everyone there. I had a probably just a few people, but it's always like if you get a group of 30 people and 25 of them really want to be there and have a fun time, you leave the session thinking about the five that didn't want to be there. And it's like, dang, I should have changed that session. Maybe I should, what do I need to do differently? Um, but anyways, this is no longer a concern of mine. So I was, yes, able to focus on the patellar tendon, focus a lot on the vertical jump. And what's changed the most is I think back then I knew so little about uh, tendons and the patellar tendon specifically, but now... Uh, I've developed quite a bit more knowledge and yeah, so, uh, I used to look at it and just be like, oh, you got a, you got a patellar tendon issue, do the iso lunge, you know, do body weight iso lunge, hold three to five minutes a day. And that'll help a lot of people, but I think that will help, uh, that helps indirectly the patellar tendon. Cause it's, it, it, um, adds just the general, like a general human being needs to have good endurance in their legs. And if you don't have good endurance, you get out in, into sports and maybe your muscle cannot keep the capacity. So some more stress goes into the tendon. Uh, and that can also add strength doing that type of isometric. But we can talk about the three things because what has changed in my process, because I'm, I'm kind of trying, I'm trying to be a dude that is very knowledgeable on the patellar tendon. And I think I am one of those guys within the strength and conditioning world that has a level of knowledge with the patellar tendon that is very valuable to a lot of people because I've spent so much time doing it and I didn't have to I didn't have to give any effort. It was so natural for me to research the patellar tendon for hours a day and do a podcast. Like do a podcast with Jill Cook where everything she was saying I was so engaged for that like I don't know 90 minutes. Uh, it because it affected Yes, you. yes, yeah. yes. So I, I care so much about it. I don't have to force myself to look into patellar tendon. Like sometimes I get some free time and I'm just like go on PubMed and type in patellar tendon. Like what kind of new research do they have on patellar tendon? Uh, some people would think that's weird. Uh, I mean, that's just my thing, uh, especially because it affects jumping athletes so much. It affects dunking athletes so much. Um, but my things are, and you, I, I educate on the patellar tendon, but I do it and people can take it and use it across the board with anything. I think that's the critical thinking ability I, I hope people can take is that if I'm educating sp- specifically on the patellar tendon, it can apply to pretty much anything in the human body. Um, but how I used to look at it is like, oh, your patellar tendon hurts, get in the iso lunge. You know, that's all you need to do. And now I look at it that um, 
Jill Cook said something which was huge and she said it on the podcast and I listened, but at the time I was like, no, nah, it's all about ISOs, you know, like I don't, we don't need to worry about that. Just do the ISOs. She said the three things to prevent, uh, to, to prevent jumper's knee or heel jumper's knee is number one, never change your loads too, too suddenly. And the highest load you put on the patar tendon is jumping as high as possible from a run up from an approach, jumping as high as possible. So if you're dunking, you're putting a lot of load on the patar tendon. That is the highest load activity you can do. So changing loads. If you don't dunk for two months and then you say, I'm going to go dunk for two hours you're probably going to blow up your patellar tendon the next day um maybe not the next day but if you consist if you consistently change loads too much you're going to blow up your patellar tendon and that's most people who get a patellar tendon issue is they go from doing nothing to doing way too much too fast or if you've done a lifting program and all you do is lift weights and then you say well i'm going to start jumping and then you just add in like 100 max effort jumps a week you're going to blow up your patellar tendon you need to keep a little bit of load in all the time on the patellar tendon um so that's the first thing she said and the second is strength training you always need to strength train because if the quads are week, the patellar tendon is more susceptible, especially when doing a jumping activity. If you have strong quads, it just keeps the patellar tendon healthy. It's it's the entire connection. Um, and you just need strength through your whole body anyways. But the strength training would also fall into isometrics because the isometrics can heal the patellar tendon. So you need to keep strength training in all the time. And then the third was biomechanics, which is so confusing. You look at guys like David Gray, uh, David Gray, Gary Ward, um, there's a few other guys of the biomechanics of the human body and what could be a potential limitation. Maybe your hip is is an anterior tilt, it can't rotate well enough. Your foot, uh, I was just talked with Joel, your foot can't, your heel can't evert, you can't pronate your foot. Um, all of these very specific biomechanical things that I think is pretty impossible to do and just say, give a blanket statement, you need to go do this for biomechanics. It is always individual. But those are the three things that I look at it now versus when we did that show before i was just like oh patellar tendon hurts iso lunge and now it's like well no don't change loads too fast strength train for the rest of your entire life and number three look at biomechanical factors that could be feeding into why you're getting more load on your patellar tendon um so i think that is a i don't think i'm going to change that i think that encompasses everything that's out there because people get a knee issue and it's like uh, do I need to do the the david gray like foam roller calf bridge thing and or do I need to uh, like lift differently and strengthen my hamstrings or there'll be like, do I need to load manage? And it's like all of that. All of it. You need to do all of it. Yes. You need to look at everything. Um, you need to look at biomechanics. You need to always strength train. Uh just, just you, you just have to strength train for the rest of your life if you're in an explosive sport. Uh, you just have to do it um, because it, it has the potential to keep you healthy and you, you need – the strong muscles are so important to keeping the tendons healthy. So just – consistently strength train you need to do all of it some people can get away with only looking at one thing and maybe that's where you intervene if someone has a, a knee issue that's why i'm often just like well let's see did you change lows too fast and then it's like yes you did well you're stupid you shouldn't have done that so let's get you on a leg extension let's get the quad activated again the muscle trained to get to get the tendon trained in a slow manner um and maybe that's enough and maybe you don't need any of the biomechanical fixes because that can get very confusing um but it can be a number of anything. Like you could have sprained your ankle a lot and now your ankle doesn't work anymore and that's why you're getting more load on your tendon. So it doesn't have to do with the changes of the load. It doesn't have to do with strength training. Um, it's It gets very difficult and my jumpers knee protocol is consistently going to get updated because I put that out, thought it was a complete resource, but it is going to need updates because it is um, it is so confusing. But um, maybe you'll do uh, – you deal with meniscus, I guess, right? Yeah, meniscus. Yeah. So, like, once you do – well, you've had that. I don't know much about that. But the patellar tendon thing, literally, uh, probably for those three years I had it, my life sucked. And a big reason was I couldn't dunk. I couldn't play basketball. I loved basketball. Like, the one thing that I loved the most, I could not do because of the patellar tendon. And the knowledge out there was so bad. The doctors were like, rest, ice. Rest for three months, ice. Uh, take anti-inflammatories, uh, do body weight, slow eccentrics. That's okay, I guess, but not enough stimulus. But it's like a lot of advice that just really sucked. And it just drained the life out of me for three years. So I like lost three years of my life where now uh, hopefully this type of information get out to a kid and they can fix a tendon issue like that a lot faster. Uh, but tendon issue there, tendon issue anywhere else in the body, uh, they just suck. And strength coaches need to understand them better. Uh, if athletes can understand them better, they can understand how to treat them. I think one thing I still need to look into and understand better is how nutrition can affect this. Because one thing I had Ebony Rio, she said, 
horses are the only other mammal that get tendinopathy. Like, why would humans and horses get it and no other mammal get tendinopathy? It makes no sense. Um, I'm thinking maybe because we used to eat, when we had an animal, we would eat the entire animal and we now only eat muscle meat. Could it be that we've had such a depletion of consuming connective tissues or consuming like bone broth, those type of things like higher in proline and glycine, those amino acids, if you're only eating muscle meat, could it be that? Could it be a nutritional thing? And that's why we have so many tendinopathies nowadays. Um, I just don't know. Or is it unavoidable because uh cavemen maybe didn't get tendinopathies they well they also didn't live as long but they didn't care about jumping as high as humanly possible and they didn't train like we they didn't train to dunk basketballs like we did so maybe it's just the nature of trying to be an explosive athlete you're just going to get run into a tendinopathy um i don't know but it's very interesting and not a lot of people have covered it very in depth so who is going to call me out for saying i'm wrong because no one really knows that's why it's it's a good challenge for me to step into because there's so little that's known um there are a lot of other areas that are very well known that if you say something that people that is kind of falls outside the norm, you're going to get called out. But no one's going to call out something on tendons because we know so little about tendons. <laughs> um, and even the researchers say that. So that's why many reasons, but that's why probably why I'm so passionate about it. And that was something. So um, this is probably going to be the last question I got for you. Uh, and I want to know if you you dive deeper into that because the, the, the evolutionary approach I've had like five or six guests come on and bring that up is – the injuries, and I know we, we talked about this a little bit too, but the, the injuries that pop up, if you were to look at it in an evolutionary approach, you wouldn't think that something the human body can do, like jumping, would cause an injury just naturally. Like if that happens, you're going to die. So you would think evolutionary, that, w- that wouldn't happen. But then you have the other side of it is like, well, evolutionary, like approach, the pe- they were just worried about surviving and hunting, like not jumping high as possible, not running as fast as possible. It was all of these things combined and it wasn't one specific thing. And that's why we're leading to the injuries because we're trying to jump as high as possible. We're trying to sprint as fast as possible. They were just trying to survive. Do you have any other like thoughts on that? And like where I think I know where you kind of stand on that approach, but uh, thoughts on that kind of approach of why like holistically these athletes do are these injuries do happen. Yeah. Uh, well, I have to separate patellar tendon because that's like a chronic issue. That's like kind of like pretty easy to treat and pretty easy to, to track why it's happening and why it did happen and what you need to do down the line. Something like an ACL tear just snaps. There are so many variables and often you cannot control it. Uh, you can do all the best strength training and movement mechanics um, and load management in the world. And an athlete still goes and snaps or ACL. So I don't know But patellar tendon, a lot more manageable um, to see why it happened and what to do afterwards. But once you snap the ACL or like snap the Achilles, it's like, uh, I don't know what you could have done differently and how you can predict them in the future. You just can't. So any injury, but let's take an ACL tear. It's always fatigue related. Like fatigue is probably one of the best things that we can use to like load management, physical preparation. If you don't manage load well enough, you're going to get more ACL tears. If you don't physically prepare for the sport, you can get more ACL tears. You need physical preparation within the sports. That's the best way to physically prepare for it. And then you need load management of everything, global load management. Um, But I think... If we say fatigue is playing such a huge role, like just look at man, it, I'm it makes me think, and I could be wrong on this. You think of people who like young kids who go play pickup basketball at the park, and they go play for three hours because they just love playing basketball. And when they get tired, they just sit down the side, or when they get tired, they just go home. But now, so they get excessive fatigue, they're done. You know, they just they just leave. But now you have athletes with excessive fatigue in the college or high school world. And that. yes, they well, they get one hour in and they still have one hour to go. And a coach is and you're forcing them to do it. But would they naturally do that if they wanted to? So I feel like that has to be a role of why there's some there there's still so many injuries that if you could let them self-regulate uh, how much volume they're going to get and their body will know, then I think it would be better. But it is impossible now because an athlete will always be looking over their shoulder of what the coach might think, you know, like, will you take away my playing time? What do you, you know, it's like, so that whole, the, the auto-regulation piece, how, how we talk about auto-regulation, but is it really happening? Because are you in the athlete's brain to know like what, you're not in the athlete's brain. You don't know what their perception is of if they say, yeah, I'm kind of tired today. You know, someone might tell you that someone will never tell you that even if they are feeling that way. Um, and what's, what's the reason if, if, if they are one hour into practice and they're like, no, I want to keep going. Is it 
for the sake of like being present within the practice or is it for their ego to like win over somebody else? And is that the healthiest way? And does that correlate to injuries? Um, I don't know, but I know that like the brain and the body are connected. So if the brain has some negative type environment because of ego or because of a coach that's on them, you're probably gonna get more injuries. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, 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 that's has to play a huge role, but how do you uh, track that and manage that? I have no clue. Yeah. So all of our micro trip. all right to sum up the podcast then if you want to jump higher you got to have a ton of volume of jumps to do that you got to have some force output in the weight room and you got to stay healthy through taking care of some of the health stuff is that is that your sum up Yes, yes, yes. Yes, that is that is what I'd say for someone who sucks. You need to pay attention to all that stuff. If someone is very good at jumping already, you might not need to worry about every single one of those things. You know, so like you again, you you. If someone is a crazy level of performance, like Jordan Kleganen will often will often message on Instagram, and he'll talk about some knee issues or what isos he can do, whatever. I never say take anything away, and I never say add anything in. It's always because he's at such a high level. He's the he's arguably the best dunker in the world. I'm not going to intervene and tell him you should do this or you should take this away. I will always say like, here's maybe a suggestion. You change it for yourself. But if a kid was messaging me, I'll be like, dude, do all of these things. Jump a ton, strength train, manage your loads, uh, look at biomechanical stuff. But if you're at a very high level, intervene as little as possible. Just make sure it objectively makes sense. Um but that's the distinction. If you suck, do all this stuff. If you're amazing, you might not need to focus on that stuff. Just make sure, because clearly it has worked for whatever reason, genetics or the training history, whatever. Just make sure it objectively is not stupid. But I will say this, Jordan Kogannon does dunk like, I don't think he might still do this. I don't know if he wants me to say this, like three, four hours a day, which he does admit is probably stupid, objectively stupid. But I leave it alone. I'm not going to say, yeah, stop doing that. I'm just not going to do that. Uh, so I guess even then, uh, who knows? <laughs> don't suck. Don't be stupid. Thanks for being on 2.0, yeah. baby. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Keep chopping wood. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.